episode 156, Don't Rush to the Rescue. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, Elite Educators. Did you tune in to episode 155 with my edgy buddy, Angela Watson? We talked all about balance and productivity. If you struggle in this area, listen up. Don't let anyone make you feel like you're to blame or you just need to manage your time better. There is nothing wrong with you. The problem is the overwhelming demands of the job. And when you're overwhelmed, you don't have the time, the energy, or the mental bandwidth to figure out how to change. And you're too exhausted to follow through anyway. You need an actual plan, a teacher-tested system that's guaranteed to work and ongoing support so you don't have to figure everything out on your own. Well, Angela created the 40-Hour Teacher Workweek Club, which is the solution to teacher overwhelm. It is a professional development on productivity. It's for teachers by a teacher to help you trim three, five, or even 10 plus hours off of your workweek. So Angela's dedicated the past four years to developing and refining the club materials so that there's a proven system that has freed thousands of educators to be their best selves both in and outside of the classroom. So each month, she gives you a plan for simplifying one aspect of your teaching, and you can use as many or as few strategies as you'd like. They're just some few small tweaks to your mindset and your daily routine and one area, and you're going to start moving the needle. That way, you feel relief from overwhelm immediately. You can even jump in and out of the resources whenever it's convenient for you. Some teachers read over them with a cup of coffee on Saturday mornings, and others listen to the audio version during their Monday morning commutes. There's literally no pressure to keep up or do it all. That would just create more overwhelm, right? So use only the ideas and the printables that jump out to you through a quick skim of the month's materials, and you can always come back to anything you skipped later as you'll keep your access to all the materials for the rest of your teaching career. No extra cost. Here's what you get if you decide to join the club clear, actionable, classroom-tested steps. And that's for 52 weeks. You get a positive, supportive community. You've got coaches and thousands of other teachers that are going to share ideas, answer your questions, and provide encouragement and accountability. Printables and templates. That's more than $450 worth of forms and teacher resources, plus free bonus materials like video trainings, the 40 hour teacher workweek list making system, and the big five tips for teacher productivity. You get a PD certificate that adds up to 104 continuing education hours. And lastly, ongoing support indefinitely. You've got lifetime access to the membership site and the Facebook community. So if you're like, yes, 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 I need this, here's what you need to do. Go to 40htw.com. That stands for the 40-Hour Teacher Workweek. And when you're purchasing, just enter my name, Gretchen Bridgers, or you can put my email, Gretchen at alwaysalesson.com, as the person that's referring you. Early bird access has already opened on June 5th. 
That means there's access to all the June club materials, which is summer planning, home organization, bonus materials, and sharing ideas in the Facebook group. The official open dates for the 40-hour Teacher Workweek Club is July 1st through 18th. That is it. So all of you elite educators deserve to take charge of your professional and personal life. And the 40-hour Teacher Workweek Club is the answer to finding your zen. In fact, the motto states, small changes add up to big results. So sign up today. Remember, visit 40htw.com. And when you're purchasing, enter my name, Gretchen Bridgers, or my email, Gretchen at alwaysalesson.com, as the person that referred you. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. Hey, hey, Elite Educators, it's Gretchen here of Always a Lesson. I'm loving you keep coming back for more. I'm telling you, you are holding so tight to your elite status every moment you spend time perfecting your craft. And you know, podcasts are a great professional development opportunity. So I'm honored that you value this show enough to learn with me every week. As you know, I've learned another lesson and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's talk about how to change student misbehaviors without demoralizing the person in the process. Let's reignite your passion and potential. Are you ready? Here we go. I wanted to start today's show off with a quick announcement. I think this might be my first announcement, but I hope y'all have been enjoying my weekly content. I know I have loved getting on the mic and talking shop the last 150 plus episodes. Holy cow, has it been that long? You have been listening for a while. If you've been listening for a while, then you know my husband and I are expecting our second bundle of joy this summer, and in preparation for that shift in our family, I'm thinking through how to ensure that you receive top-notch content through my blog and my podcasts while I'm adjusting to the life of a mom with two under two. And recently, I changed my blogging schedule from weekly to every other week as kind of step one in the baby preparation process, and I've decided to do the same thing with my podcast and alter my schedule to every other week. That way you will hear from me weekly. It'll just either be a blog post or a podcast episode, but not both. And I just feel like I'd rather give you my best every other week than just put something out there for the sake of, I don't know, trying to get content to you every week. That just might be subpar as I'm trying to adjust to my new life. So I hope you understand and support me as I figure out my new normal. I know it's a bummer to expect a new podcast episode from me every Monday morning to get your week started off right, but as I sit here and preach to you weekly about balance and setting realistic expectations, I better follow my own advice. But don't worry, none of this is happening right now. The week of August 1st, that's really the last week of July, is the first week off of my podcast. So I'll be reminding you up until that time that that's when the schedule will shift to every other week. Um, That is actually my due date and it's a perfect time to do an adjustment to the schedule. So now that we got that business out of the way, let's talk about the rationale for this episode of Don't Rush to the Rescue. So you know I've been reading Lead Like a Pirate. That's by amazing Shelley Burgess and Beth Hoof. hope I'm pronouncing her name right. I say that every time. <laughs> H-O-U-F. Anyway, um, and I told you last time, like, I'm a, I took, you know, copious notes because it's just been so good. And there was one statement that I literally shouted out loud as I was reading it and was like, I was like, yes, I've got to talk about this. Here's what the author said. Separate the deed from the doer 
and work to change the deed. So that was separate the deed from the doer and work to change the deed. So good, right? Kids make mistakes and they shouldn't be defined by them. You know, kids are figuring out boundaries and they're forming their conscience. And there's just various factors that can sway a child to make a decision like peer pressure or past experiences, stress or depression, uh, parental advice, you know, etc. So if we can look at student behaviors in isolation instead of actions leading to a forever scarlet letter that they must wear, then everyone is better off. In fact, it makes me think of my own experience as a student. It's not that I made tons of not so good decisions, but I remember this one time <laughs> in my Spanish class in high school and I decided to make a poor choice. And that teacher in particular treated me with such grace. I mean, she never treated me differently afterwards. She dealt with my decision. She let me know I was better than that. And she moved on. I mean, I think it was harder for me to move on than it was for her, but she would still greet me with a smile, call on me in class. I mean, everything was normal. And she taught me that hey, it was a lapse in judgment, but it doesn't define a person. And my track record and my potential as a student held more value to her than that one poor decision. I mean, amazing educator right here. She immediately is an elite educator. And that has always stuck with me as I raised my own daughter. I mean, God, toddlers, they're crazy. And they're choosing, you know, not to follow directions or rules, you know, ignoring you, purposely acting out. And so I know that my daughter's learning about, you know, who runs the house, who calls the shots, you know, what her boundaries are. Right now we're in this whole cause and effect, <laughs> especially with consequences and numerous other things. And I have to make the choice to say, this is a behavior, this is not a person. And as frustrating as it can be, you know, when a kid repeatedly pushes your buttons, <laughs> Remind yourself that you are forming their self-concept at the same time that they're forming their conscience. And so together, the way you both interact when you're addressing these issues dictates future behaviors. So if students realize, hey, this person loves me unconditionally, so if I make a mistake, you know, it's not going to make me fall off this pedestal I'm on right now, well, then more students are going to show up to school and keep trying to be their best even after a bad day. And that is the power of relationships. But what I really wanted to talk to you about is how we can't rush to the rescue as kids are figuring out the world around them and then their place within it. I always told my kiddos, parents, that they needed to step back and let their kids struggle. And one parent even told me, you know, how hard it was to just watch your child grapple and get frustrated and ask for help. You know, and I wish I could have told them, you know, I know I've been there, but I hadn't. I hadn't had kids yet. And I knew that was unfair to say, but I knew the teacher me was probably very different than the mom that I was going to become one day. Because, you know, as parents, you want to rescue and to help. And in fact, my mother-in-law, she admits, you know, to doing things for my husband while he was growing up that he was quite capable of doing himself. But she said she just enjoyed doing things for him as his mom. You know, and others have admitted to loving being a mom too and just taking care of kids, even if that meant tying their shoes and wiping their noses when clearly their kids were capable of doing those things themselves. And although I can sympathize with that caregiving mentality, it's really unrealistic in a classroom of 20 plus kids. You know, I told my kids, I cannot tie everyone's shoes and I cannot wipe everyone's noses, nor do I want to. I mean, besides 
I spent a lot of my time in third grade and they were old enough to do those things. And if I didn't require them to do that, then how could I require them to, I don't know, you know, write a three paragraph essay on a timed assessment or complete multi-step word problems or keep up with materials for five subjects and some of those with different teachers. So you see, if they can't do the little things themselves, they can't handle the bigger things and everything adds up to develop a student's capability. You are forming a foundation and the more you require of your kids and teach them how and support them as they try new things, well, the quicker they're gonna be able to rise to the occasion and reach their potential. But when we see them veering off course, you know, whether it's behavior, like the quote I shared called it a deed, behavior deed or academic deed, we have to be present without being pushy. We, you know, we cannot rush in when they're solving an equation incorrectly. Say, no, 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 that's wrong. You know, how are they going to learn to do it right if we're doing that critical thinking for them? If you're always rescuing, if you were always rescued when you're lost in a city, do you think you would have ever developed the ability to read a map or ask for help or rely on your instincts? No, you know, we're hurting kids by rushing to the rescue. So in thinking about misbehaviors specifically, kids are going to push limits. I mean, it's just part of their development. It's quite normal. So we have to work from the angle that kids are going to mess up. They're going to go astray. And it's not our job to throw out the life preserver and make them ask for forgiveness (laughs) before moving on. You know, we have to acknowledge, hey, you're astray. And then we're going to react so that they know we are correcting and noticing a behavior or a choice instead of a person. And when we do react, it's not to rescue, but it's to question or prompt or suggest. You know, we want the deed to stop or change, but we certainly aren't willing to do the work ourselves. So it's really a two-parter. First part is recognize the deed that you want to change in a student. And part two, model or guide the student to think through how that decision or behavior does not have a high return on investment, you know, so that they are going to want to do the work to change it. You know, many kids don't think about the future. They live in the now. So if you help them see how their choices get them closer to or further from their dreams, they're going to be much more motivated and clear-headed to make adjustments. And I think it's just really hard for us as teachers these days. It's a stressful job. We've got a lot of students, but we have to remember our job is more than just to teach content and that kids are aren't bad, although they make bad choices. But if we can keep this quote front of mind in the work that we do every day, I think we'll be able to really help kids learn from the bad choices, correct their mindset and their habits so that they make better choices in the future. And that's empowerment. That's education. I bet if you were to think right now about your top five most challenging behavior students, you'd realize you probably didn't separate the deed from the doer. I mean, especially if you saw that student in another class and they were excelling, you know, that tells us we reacted in a way that sent the message that it's the child that is bad, not the behavior. And that translates in a kid's mind to like, why try and be anything different than what I'm already labeled now? So no, they're not going to show up to class. No, they're not going to do the work. And no, they're not going to try hard. So learning to recover from a misstep is a crucial life lesson every kid should have the pleasure of learning. And the earlier, the better. 
So let me give you some ideas for how exactly to separate the deed from the doer and then work to change the deed. So besides having a neutral tone when speaking with the student and allowing for a fresh start afterwards, there are a few things to go about addressing the specific behavior of the deed that you want to change. So let's start with the least invasive. This could be a simple reflection. Let your student know that, you know, you broke one of the class rules. Don't tell them which one. Allow them to kind of work through the reflection process. The goal here is not to write some confession or promissory note. It's about the thought process. So ditch the paper if you want to. But ideally, you want the student to identify the rule they broke, why that rule is important to help them succeed in school and more importantly in life, and then what they plan to do differently going forward. So what it was they did, why it's important, and what to do differently. Next is a medium invasive strategy. I call it the conference. So you're pulling the kid aside. It helps you really better understand the student and their motivations. This might be great if it's a newer student or, you know, non-repeat offenders. You're just gathering more information. It's quick one-on-one, you know, like, hey, tell me what's up kind of conversation. It's enough to let the student know that you as a teacher are paying attention, you care enough to intervene, you believe they're capable of better, and you're willing to help them right the ship. And then you'll follow the same steps that were in the reflection. So the least invasive is kind of they're doing it on their own. You don't really have to intervene. But then this medium invasive strategy is you're taking that reflection and you're inputting yourself to help the conversation move along because you actually need more data points. The student going through the reflection isn't going to be enough at this point. And lastly, the most invasive and really should be safe for extreme cases is what I call intervention. And that term is kind of scary and I really don't mean for it to be, but it describes what you're trying to do. Usually by this point, your verbal and nonverbal reminders aren't working. Your reflection time resulted in no change. Your chummy chum chats are lots of promises without action. So it's time for an intervention. And hopefully you've been documenting behavior choices up until now, because that's going to greatly help you. And if you want to bring in parents to hear this conversation, that's totally fine. But really, you want to maintain respect and trust in your relationship with the student in hopes that that increases the chances that the behavior is going to change. And students are super visual. So one great way to paint the picture, so to speak, is to write each individual misbehavior incident on one index card per event. And students are going to spend time by themselves sorting through the cards and putting them in sequential order. So the realization of the repeated behaviors is pretty high at this point because it's right there in black and white and the evidence trail, the amount of index cards is quite long. And so regardless if the order's, you know, exactly correct, The process that they're going through to identify the patterns they're seeing and kind of reflect on, oh yeah, I remember I did that. That's really the most important. That's the processing time that's going to lead to change. And you can really be doing anything you want during this time. You don't need to be hovering over them as they're doing it. You know, go organize something in your classroom until they're ready. And again, that's another respect and trust maneuver. You're giving them space to accept the reality without feeling the shame of like, how dare you, you're towering over them, you're pointing your finger at them. And when they're ready, that's when you kind of lay down the gauntlet and, but you're going to let them lead the conversation. And you might start like, so what did you uncover? Or, you know, why do you think I wanted you to complete this activity? Or what do you think is concerning about these incidents? Very open-ended, but it gets 
the student doing the talking. So you can really use any sort of prompt to just get the student to acknowledge the choices they made, like, yes, I did these things, admit it is now a growing problem, like, holy cow, I'm running out of room organizing these cards. I think I have a problem. (laughs) And you might have to intervene to kind of help them connect the dots to how this is going to affect their future. You know, forget the whole, this is why your grades aren't the best, or this is why you're struggling in a specific subject. They know that already. But what you want to help them develop is what I call farsightedness. You want them to realize that, okay, when I continue to distract others around me during instruction, none of us are learning. And in order for John to be an astronaut and Mary to be a doctor and Bobby to be a manager and me to be, I don't know, a major league baseball player, we got to get this school thing right. You know, it's not just to get good grades and not just to get into college, but to actually have enough sense to make wise business decisions, you know, to help us become successful and to create a knowledge base to ensure we're productive citizens who go on to use our gifts and talents to give back to, you know, those in needs. And it's also so we have a degree to fall back on if, hey, our dream job were taken from us in a moment. You know, those are the things kids care about. That's their dreams. They don't understand, you know, how fighting in the hallway or cheating on a test or mouthing off to a teacher relates to them reaching new heights in this dream job. So we as educators have to help them draw that connection. So this index card activity isn't to penalize a student or, you know, bring up all the wrongs, but it's to paint that picture of this is where you're headed and it seems pretty far off from what you said you wanted to become. And kids are going to remember this. You know, the whole time you aren't blaming a child. They've endured enough consequences by this point. But the activity is to raise awareness in kind of a last ditch effort. And when you end that intervention, together set some goals. And you might say, okay, so baseball players, you know, they need math. They've got to calculate the time on the job equating to a paycheck to ensure it's correct. They have to learn to adjust the angle of their swing to hit a home run, you know, whatever. And so when they start seeing how specific subjects are necessary to make them successful in the long run, that's that farsightedness, then their motivation skyrockets. And the whole time you are just encouraging, you're full of grace. Because remember, it's the deed you're wanting to change, you know, not the doer. The doer is going to morph into their best self as they alter their own behaviors. But that's not your job. Set so we as educators have to separate the doer and the deed. And then we attack the deed as the guide on the side. So no matter which strategy that you decide to try, just remember your job is to respond in a neutral tone, to encourage students to connect the dots themselves. It's not hands-on or hands-off, but it's hands nearby. You're watching, you're supporting, you're guiding, but you're never doing and you're certainly never blaming. So I think in this way, we aren't rescuing kids before they complete a bad decision. You know, we allow them to exercise free will. Go ahead and make that decision. We'll adjust after. And by we, I really mean you do the work and I'll be your thought partner. You know, kids got to fall, got to realize why they fell, brainstorm how to get back up, pick themselves up, dust themselves off and try again. You know, we're always right there, but we're never shouting instructions for what to do in the moment. We need them to do that thinking. And those hard falls are what create great humans. So don't get in the way of that. 
All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast on not rushing to the rescue so that student misbehaviors change without demoralizing the person in the process. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. This podcast is a member of the Education Podcast Network a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcastnetwork.com for more details.